Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. And welcome back to uh, RCR Greenwashed with Jaspreet and Don. Remember to give your texts at 2057 and email uh, inbox at realitycheck.radio. It's not often we get guests from uh, who have got a life that's uh, and a, a work profile that spans both hemispheres, but we have one today, and his name is Hans Beemond. Came from a farm or a market garden area south of Rotterdam, and he's now in Ernstclue in central Otago. And I can say in Ernstclue, um, Hans, my father took me there way back when I was a little guy because he had an old mate from his army days in the Second World War called Ernst Weavers. And yeah. uh, I, re- I recall taking him taking us there in the 1960s. So been to Ernstclue a few times. Anyway, um, great to have you on the show. You've obviously lived a, um, a varied life uh, coming from from a very intense area below Rotterdam. I've looked at it on a map. It looks very, very uh, compact and sort of organized. And you you can see the market gardens from Google Maps. What was your reason for coming to New Zealand in 1984? Nobody else wanted me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, funny. No, no, I I didn't see, um, I was, not able to take over the farm. My brother took over the farm, uh, the small farm. We had a really small farm because uh, the government, well, I say stole a bit of us, our land in those days already. They uh, they needed uh, quite a big area of land to put all the mud, but they took out of the harvest in Rotterdam to to uh, uh, put that somewhere. So they put another dike and they filled all our land up with mud. So, so the farm ended up only about 10 hectares. And um, yeah, I, I just, and there was not enough room. I, I started looking, I went on a holiday to Norway too for a, for a big bike holiday. I, uh, I biked all the way to the North Cup. And when I came back, I thought, this is place is just getting too small for me. <laughs> so we, we started looking uh, for immigrating also for, I had nothing, like we had nothing to lose. So I looked at Canada first, but yeah, I think the minimum amount of money I had to bring was about $300,000 or in those days for be able to employ six people. So that was out of the question. And then um, I said, oh, we'll go to Australia. So that was in 1984, but in 1984, Australia had um, immigration stop, so they they only took two or three trades, and nothing to do with uh, with what I uh, with horticulture or nothing. And then I saw somewhere like I'd never heard of the place New Zealand. I said, "Oh, this this other place here, but not far from Australia, it's called New Zealand." So we got a book, and we looked in the book. I thought, oh, that, that might be a nice place to go." I said. To my then uh, girlfriend, I said, well, "We'll go to New Zealand for a year, and and then we go to Australia. See if that is uh, possible." So, so we came out. I managed to get um, uh, permission to immigrate, and my government paid everything to get rid of me, sort of thing. <laughs> Was, so that we, Was that common? Was that common? They paid to get rid of you. 
Yeah, the, well, they uh, they actually paid for the immigration. So mm. I think the whole thing cost me about 500 gilden, what is about $250 at the moment. And that was actually for, uh, I got a cubic meter of um, of uh, cargo, Shipping? what I paid yes, for as well. So it was a cubic meter. So mm. we, we stuffed everything in and said, we're away. <laughs> so, um, well, I just left and... Uh, I went on my own because together we didn't have as much chance. They said they wanted, because I had horticultural experience in 1984, they were, New Zealand was looking to diversify more into horticulture. That's why, why I managed to get in. So, yeah, I just left and um, I arrived in Christchurch with a few words of English and this, this lady of the immigration service picked me up and she said, oh, I got a job for you organizing COVID and all this sort of stuff. I said, oh, yeah. Said, she said $80 a week and, um, and, and free board. I thought, oh, that doesn't sound, sound too, too much. But what actually happened, this is going to be a reasonable long story. But a couple of days before uh, I left, I went to a wedding and I met, I met a guy there. He said, oh, my brother is living in Clyde. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I'll give you the address. If, you, if you're stuck, go and see him. I've never seen the guy. So I arrived there in Christchurch. I said to the lady, um, I, I just go for a quick look for a couple of days um, because I arrived on Friday or Monday that farmer was going to pick me up. So I thought, bugger this. I'm, I hopped on the bus and I ended up in Clyde. Well, <laughs> before I got to Clyde, of course, it was June. I drove through Lawrence about 8 o'clock at night in June, and I looked outside, I, I thought, shit, the only thing missing here is those tumbleweeds blowing down the road because I didn't see anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I ended up in Clyde. And then those, that guy, I arrived there at 10 o'clock at night, and I was I was a bit lost because I left on my own. And so I knocked on some door. I said, I need I, I got to find Hazlitt Street in, in the middle of winter. He said, oh, just go over there. So <laughs> I found this house. And I knocked on the door, 10 o'clock at night, and the door opens. And I said, uh, I'm Hans Biemont. I've just immigrated from Holland, and I don't know where to go. <laughs> and he, uh. his mouth just opened, and he said, come in. He put a bottle of whiskey on the table, and he said, tell me who you are. And I told him, he said, your mother is my second cousin. I didn't know that at all. <laughs> <laughs> So he, uh, he introduced me to the other Dutchies here, and the next day I had a job in Orchard for, for twice as much. Oh, well, so look, I, fortuitous, yeah. fortuitous. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and so that was on an orchard, and obviously in the middle of winter there's um, a whole lot of maintenance to work, work to do on an orchard, uh, and you came from probably sub-zero every day um, right through to summers in the 30s, um, quite a variation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, I came from the summer in the winter here because June is the mm. middle of winter. So I was uh, I was pruning, of course, for uh, about three or four months, and then well, that that's how it all started. And then I, and then I met Colin after, uh, and I, I started for him after a year, build up his orchard here in Wensclu. Yep. That's that's sort of how it all started. And I've never been to Australia, by the way. I. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I liked it so much. It was just, it was a great adventure, and uh, it is a great, a great country. Like I, I like hunting and fishing and the outdoors, and I thought I ended up in paradise, really. 
Well, I think you might have. And, and of course, your passion is horticulture. So you yeah. lasted about 10 years um, and you went into horticulture. How's that been? I mean, I've, I've read one article where uh, 2003, I think it was, you had a plague of aphids and your lettuces and in other yeah. years you've had floods and all sorts of things. What's yeah, what's it yeah, been like? And I didn't know it was 83. 83, I just about got wiped out by that um uh, we had the new uh, aphid in the letters. There was, I, I can't remember the name, but we, nobody, like all over New Zealand, we, it was big damage. We didn't know what to do. Mm. So I, I virtually lost my whole um, um, lettuce crop that year. And, and um, so I I went possuming, possuming uh, to, to sort of stay afloat. And then the next year, of course, um, values went like land values went through the roof. Mm. And I mean, I, I, had a, I bought a second property uh, two years earlier, but got wiped out by, by the lettuce aphid. And uh, I managed to sell that for, for um, a big profit and that put, our, put us back on our feet. So that's how we, uh, it's been an, an up and down ride like for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. When you're an investor and a hard worker, often uh, you've got to go with the go with the flow. They say you have highs and lows, yep. and you know people yep. in suits don't just quite often see it that way. But no. uh, they, you've done no. well. Yeah. And I was listening to you, Hans, and you know we followed 25 years after you did. My husband and I came here in 2009, and it's eerily similar what you said. So we first looked at Canada. Manitoba had a Agricultural investment pathway cost $300,000. When you said yeah, the words, yeah. it struck me. And my husband and I looked at it. But, you know, we were leaving corporate careers and we wanted to go to a place where we had no one to say. I told you so if we fell flat on our faces. So we yeah. slipped up New Zealand. Australia, again, we had friends. And we came out here. So he came first. I landed in June, uh, July. I came, I still remember the day. I was taking the taxi at the airport at Delhi. And the taxi the radio was on and it says today Delhi is expected to cross 50 degrees. And I land here and it's freezing cold. They lost my luggage in Thailand. And yeah, it's it's been 15 years. But I, I can tell you at that point when I, because my father-in-law, he told my husband and me, he says, look, if you two, despite your corporate careers, if you want to go farming, you need to leave India. You'll soon be farming among high rises. And that's it. Yeah. Land in Punjab is still valued at most agricultural land at over 400,000 New Zealand a hectare. You don't yeah. meet inflation farming, that sort of a land. And he told us, he said, look, you'll have to leave the country if you really, yeah. this is what you're keen to do. So we left Manitoba. He said, nah, not putting 300,000 there. Came to New Zealand. He came first. But I now look back and see, and just like you, I thought it was paradise, and I still do to a, to a very large extent. But things in farming have certainly changed from the time I have. And as a migrant, I can often see that what I thought I left behind, all that craziness, unable to be able to farm or be productive, I see similar things happening now in New Zealand that, you know, we are not heading to a good place. Do you share that sentiment? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, what I left Holland for is now coming here. I, I feel a bit like that. All the regulations and um, my whole life, I've tried to make difficult things easy. Mm. But these things, these days, it is making easy things difficult. That seems to be 
whole whole uh, whole life is, and uh, I still always try to make difficult things easy. But everybody else seems to be against me, like the the council or whatever. Like, hmm. um, if uh, I'm lucky now, one of my uh, my sons is come in with me. Otherwise, I, because I'm 65 now, otherwise I would just say, uh, see you later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now. I try to keep it because if you stop it, it is very hard to. That's the thing too. If you stop it, it's very hard to start up. Hmm. Like once you're in it, it is easier to keep going than start from scratch. Like if you got all your papers, hmm. it's just a matter of taking a few boxes every year and try to keep going. But that is. So, so it has yeah. been pro- profitable for you during these years. You've got 17 hectares now, I think, of very good soils, I imagine. I think I can visualize the areas you'll be in. And yeah. and it has been profitable most years, or have you had some years uh, where well, you think, what's it all about? Well, um, i got eight kids, and I'm not a Catholic, but i got eight kids, so we... <laughs> <laughs> it has always been a, a family thing. Like, uh, I used to plant everything with the kids, so I'd know no labor costs and everything. If, if I um, would have had to employ somebody, it would not not have been profitable. But right. um, you know what the market gardener say? A market gardener is a lifestyle with the occasional good year, much like farming, I suppose, but that's all it is. But the last... Yeah. I, I was uh, we very lucky here in Central Otago. I, um, from the first day our uh, supermarket started, I was a supplier. Like just a small small town, of course, and um, like good connections. We've always been looked after really good by our local supermarket. Mm. And then they started um, a second one in Cromwell. The same the same family and and the same there. So we we sort of in a quite unique uh, position be close to our uh, customers mm. and and they uh, they've looked after us and we look after them and that right. and that is not not really for uh, for uh, many market gardeners in New Zealand of course but we we got to go through the market too with a certain amount but um, our local uh, our locals um, custom is our uh, is our strength because we close and if something goes wrong, you're right there. We can yeah. fix it up easy. And yeah, that's that so, going really well. But uh, so, so do you uh, label yourself an organic farmer or a uh, no. what you termed conventional horticulturalist? Yes, yes, yes. And, but I explain everybody too. I, I, I eat it myself. Like it is not as if we uh, <laughs> if we arrange it to uh, to our customers or anything. We eat all our stuff ourselves. And mm. I'm not a great fan of um, of of spraying, but it got to be done. Like mm. I, I I remember when they started organics in uh, in Holland, and um, I asked a good friend of mine. He, he was a contract sprayer. I said, "What what's the difference now over there?" I was already here. I said, "What's the difference between an organic grower?" And a conventional grower, he said, well, all the organic growers spray at night. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, I don't think that's going to go down too flash. But anyway, good good that you're candid no, about it. It was all in the beginning, of course. That's not anymore because now you've got regulations and, and even uh, our produce get checked all the time. Right. So, that's, but so, I mean, that's all in the beginning. That's all <laughs> how, we, how we get to this point. 
that was, you might say, before greenwashing became a thing. <laughs> um, anyway, hey, so look, can we just move on? I mean, great story for, for the locals and great to have made your, your life in New Zealand and su- survived. And, and I do concur, labour force, family labour force has paid the way for a lot of a lot of farm families around New Zealand. And of course, generally those kids that have been brought up doing stuff with mum and dad in the dirt on the farms, they end up being really tough um, or smart people. They go into the world and do good stuff. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. what I'd like to know is we're getting a lot of news out of the, uh, or the last five years especially, there's been a lot of news coming out of Holland about the angst that's been created by the Rutter government yeah. and the more recently the tractor protests uh, that are massive and the blocking of highways by farmers, uh, all for this nitrogen I, I, sh- I think it's nitrous oxide reduction, actually, or is it nitrate leaching thereafter? I can't quite fathom that. But no, anyway, no, it's around emissions profiling. Exactly, and that doesn't exist. That's the problem. They've created a problem that doesn't exist. The, using the, I heard an expert the other day. He said the, the levels in Holland are dead tough. If a sparrow comes on your land and, fart and, and does his thing on it, you're over the limit. <laughs> That's how tough the limit is. If you go across the border to Germany, there is nothing like there is no the same levels don't account there. The, it is an um, invented thing to get the people of the land, and that's what it is. So, the, so, so I've read about this tri-state ambition where there's yes. um, like three three cities are trying to sort of join up, uh, and they do cross borders. Um, is that? Is that a real thing or is it, uh, you know, well, clearly it's being talked about. Has it has it already started the momentum toward these um, tri- these three big cities joined up? Well, I think it's already started, of course, because the amount of people that in like last eight years, they've read in more than two million uh, sort of um, uh, people from the Middle East and, and Libya, more than so um, it's already starting the urbanization it is already becoming a big city all the little towns grow together it, it mm. is talked about but that's the problem that even the farmers what they take they don't really know what's happening with the land they don't know if they're going to build a house it is all under sort of uh, under under cover Nobody really knows, well, somebody will know, but the farmers themselves don't even know what's actually happening with their land. Yeah, it's, it's a mystery, isn't it? Uh, they're being offered, I gather, 120% of market value, but I assume the market value has already been tainted by by the negativity. So what is 120% of, of market value? Very exactly. awkward to, to follow. The, the lady of uh, Farmers' Defence force in New Zealand, uh, the, she explained it the other day, mm. it's not enough, the reimbursement is not enough, like the next day you got to pay tax and everything, and you got, you got, she reckoned it is not near enough to to carry on, well they can't carry on farm, farming of course, they're not allowed to carry on farming, they, they're not allowed to go somewhere else, mm. so they end up with nothing. They can, come to, they can come to New Zealand, but they can't farm in the EU, which is intriguing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me is that the concern I have 
is once you're in the pay of the government or the taxpayer, your arguments are a bit hollow. So is it true that in, in Holland there's been a lot of payments to the farmers to stay on their land effectively in smaller units and um, have 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 family units? So there's been a lot of taxpayer support, whether it's for environmental reasons or I think more than production reasons. Now they're sort of saying they want your land. I mean, it's very hard to have uh, take a moral high ground if you've already had some taxpayer support. So okay. how's that playing out? How's that playing out? Well, the thing is, uh, I don't know how long ago it was via the man Mansold. He was then the Minister of uh, Agriculture or whatever it was. In those days, it was all about, after the war, it was about food security. Yes. So that's why they stimulated the farmers to produce more. They they made all the farmers, uh, the farms, economic units, because a lot of the farms were spread out, a couple of hectares here, a couple of hectares there. So they, between the farmers, they swapped all that land. So it all became blocks. So economic units, you didn't have to drive 20 kilometers to your hectare over there and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But what's happened now, the, 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 the same what's happening here, the divide between people in the cities but want to go biking uh, on, uh, in on the rural the roads. Yeah. They, the, the, the divide between the, the city people and the rural people is getting so big that the city people don't understand the farmers anymore. They, they want to go biking and uh, they don't want to see a sprayer or anything, all that sort of stuff. So they're making it very, very difficult for the farmers. Mm. But and now the green, the green movement is grown so big in Holland. The green mo- movement is the danger. They they want everywhere uh, forest and this and that and, and the same again recreation. They don't, mm. they they don't know even know where their food is coming from. Plus, Hans, do you think that the farmers have been subsidized in Holland for so long that they have slowly been swept along with this without realizing which way they are heading? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if that was really. I really think in the beginning it was all about food security, because mm. after the war a lot of people died of hunger. Mm. So, but it slowly changed, and and the subsidy, yeah, definitely a lot of subsidies. Uh, subsidies even for buying new equipment, all that sort of stuff. You got all sorts of rules for, yeah. And that, uh, they, yeah, that's what's happened. You're, you're dependent on the government, and then, um, yeah, in a way, you got nothing to say. So, so yeah. fast forwarding to today, uh, uh, recent days actually, uh, I note that the Netherlands government has dissolved. Yeah. Um, Mark Rutter couldn't get his coalition to uh, stay stay together. What do you think the the likelihood is uh, of the BBB? That effectively, the I can't explain the name, but the Farmers Party effectively. What do you think the chances they will hold a uh, position in a new parliament with about their twenty percent block? How how do you think that'll play out? Well, the problem with BBB um, is they already recognizing there is a nitrogen problem. So oh. they're not going to be, they, they bought, the farmers bought a cat in the bag, sorry. Well, that, that's just my opinion. Um, I, I followed it quite quite deeply. And I, I know her background, she's, her background is Monsanto or whatever it is, all those big conglomerates. Mm. 
So <laughs> I don't think. Um, so, so you. I think don't think she's going to be the savior of the farmers. Let's say it like that. So, so just getting that a bit more clear in my head. This lady that's running it has got an Irish background, I gather, um, heritage. You think she's been bought off by big, big, uh, well, yeah, well, big. I don't, big, I don't um, know. If she's bought off. She could be. Um, what is the word for it? Um, not real opposition. Let's say it like that. She, she's definitely um, a likable lady in the in the parliament. Too. She's she's making the right noises, but she doesn't go far enough. We've got she, you like that here, Don, haven't we? Making the right noises, but that's all they are—just noises. Nothing yeah. substantial. Yeah. You, well, you do you, you do get sick of people that speak out of both sides of their mouths. Um, but yeah, so yeah. this is something we will have to work or watch with interest because I think it's a critical juncture. Um, and those of us that are into free enterprise and lack of less protection and all the rest of it, um, yeah. we we see the writing on the wall uh, from places that fall into line with this globalist push right. and i i you you've put the cat amongst the pigeons hans because i thought this lady and her top tier were seriously in opposition to to that type of agenda no I, I, the only thing i'm hoping because she started all on her on her own mm. and she got a lot of people behind her now and one of my cousins is actually i think he's in in the in the parliament now not in the not in the second house, in the first one. And I told him too, I said, the only way it can work is if you put the pressure on her with all your people that believed in her and, mm. and put her on the right track because she will just stay in that little square what's been mapped out. She won't go out. She believes in the nitrogen problem already. Well, it is proven by experts. The formula they use is fraudulent. It is all proven. She will. She says there is a nitrogen problem, so she she is not gonna she is not gonna solve the problem for the farmers. Then that is the problem, isn't it? Once we start arguing just within the allowed narrative, that all right, and exactly. start giving up solutions to imaginary problems, we we are stuck there. Yeah. But I, I wonder, Hans, you you are a migrant here. I am a migrant. I'm a Kiwi now, as I'm guessing most likely you are. What no, about no, I'm, you're, I'm still not, you're still that? All right. Yeah. 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 So what about the cultural and the social uh, changes that are happening with the government that's folded over the weekend? There is a whole talk about migration being, uh, you know, a major trigger yeah, yeah. there. So what what is happening? Well, he is. Uh, well, he's actually uh, resigned completely now. He's gone. Mm. Red is mm. gone. Mm. But he all of a sudden he um, he got a lot of pressure of his um, members mm. to get tougher on immigration. Yep. Because like Holland is only as big as Otago, and we yep. got 18 million people there. Yep. So so <laughs> Holland is like it's it's stuck. They they can't move like the and, and they keep bringing him in 200,000 every year. They keep bringing in more migrants, don't they? Yeah, so so eventually um, it's going to be full, unless mm. you take them uh, ten or high. But, <laughs> but yeah. so so but the, the the things I've heard is um, because I just listened to a program in Holland. The, the things he want to change, he's sounding really tough. 
but not much is going to change. The, the problem is the European Union, and that's what it is. Holland is already, in my eyes, stopped to uh, exist as, as Holland. Like the 60% of, of the new laws in Holland are made by the European Union by people who nobody voted for. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the that's the real problem. And they they cannot they can only get out if the if the European Union will fall to bits. Mm. And Holland so, is one of the front runners, of course. So, <laughs> so I can't well, see a way out. Well, isn't Holland the second um, biggest exporter of food products in the world behind the United yeah. States? So yeah. Yeah, they're they're in a yeah. You can see the game that's being played. Oh well, we can we can diminish our food production. Something else will take its place. Um, yeah. I don't I don't don't quite see how that works. Um, but yeah, we're we will watch this space with interest. Tell me, um, what do you make of the little lady, young young lady Eva Vladenbrook? Is she on the money when she puts her her blogs out and her her videos out? Oh, I think she's very much on the money, but uh, the same with. Yeah, okay, you say with the uh, I think she's definitely on the money. Mm. But if you get a bit older, you yeah, I don't know if it is mellowing, but you 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 start seeing things a little bit more from both sides. She's definitely on our side, like mm. yeah, so, uh, and what she says too, I think it's all uh, um um factual. Right. So what what would like to get from you in the next week or two is some names from the Netherlands if you can put us into some of your connections over there because we'd love to have an interview with a few people on the ground uh, not saying that you're not on the ground you're, you're <laughs> deeply rooted rooted in the earth um but but it would be great to have some further connections and build a global sort of um idea yeah, yeah. of of yeah. what's happening in the farming um world for our listeners because it's very easy for for us to wrap it on about what's happening in New Zealand but yeah, you know, this 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 stuff is bigger than us, oh, yeah. and and we I'm need just, to have some international linkage, linkages. I was just going to mention something else when I listened to the the lady of Farmers Defence Force. Mm. That's how bad it is getting. Like she said, every twelve days, a farmer in Holland is committing suicide. Okay. I think even for I think that's absolutely terrible. But that's that's from her mouth. So that's every twelve days. Another farmer is committing suicide. They just don't know. They can't see an end of it. Yeah, I, I not, I'm not sure the current stats in New Zealand, but they won't be great either. Um, no. This, this anxiety that's being caused by the massive regulatory push um, oh, yeah. coming over you, you're made to look second rate or to to everybody else, and it's just, I call it um, abuse. Uh, other people sort of may have a different term of it, but oh. Couldn't agree more. It is galling. The same people that are causing mental health issues, not just to the rural sector, even to the urban now, are the ones that then come with band-aids about mental health support and rural trust and all of it. Oh, yeah. Well, if you would just just step out of our lives and let us do what we do, you know, we probably wouldn't even need you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So 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 Hans. Um, I will work on that. I will work on that. Oh, thank you. And, so uh, you've you've got how many children left at home these days? Are you got? Um... Well, they come and go a little bit because all my uh, children sort of have, have bought a little bit of block of land and they got right. to build a house and then they live here for a while and then they go again. 
So at the moment, there is nobody at home. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I reckon you're the ideal dad. It'd be good to have all dads to be like that. So um, I don't know, listeners, we're, we're, we're watching a, um, we do this via Zoom and um, we we have um, the, the the visual of, of Hans and, and I've got Jaspreet as well on the other side and you see a smiley, happy man. Um, so, you know, happy-go-lucky and... Um, I would, I would like to think all New Zealand farmers could be happy-go-lucky people and we could, you know, just get a few of those things off our back that are constantly niggling us. But, hey, Hans, uh, I reckon it's been um, good to have you um, on our sort of uh, real New Zealander part of our show. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're going to try and make a regular effort to get the people off the land on our show. So you're just – I think you're about number three now, so – Thank you for coming on, and um, uh, we hope to get you back someday. Sounds good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much, Hans. All the best. Bye-bye. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio.